This is a moment in wine and hip hop, brought to you by Crew Love, blending wine and hip hop at the highest level. Wine and hip hop, wine and music. Tell me up, bro. Check this out. Oh yeah. You'll be the life of the party. Wine and hip hop really mirrors the the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. Yeah, what's good, Josh? Your man, Jermaine Showtime Stone, a.k.a. The Wolf of Wine, a.k.a. The Zara Vibes, a.k.a. Young Thanos. I'm just out here collecting Infinity Stones. Today, I'm coming to you live from Chicago. I got my dog, Dave Mays, in the what building, up, what man. What up, Chi-Town? Here this, we are. This is, this is major for a lot of reasons. All my hip-hop has known was really good. You know, the Source magazine was the Bible for hip-hop yes. for a very long time man so yeah. one thank you for joining us on the show it's an honor to have you on happy to be here and um two man thank you for your contributions to the game bro you know yeah. like i feel like by you know looking at your your career path and and all your work like i feel like you love hip-hop in a real genuine way so like this is what this show is about so it's really dope to have yeah, you on man absolutely um absolutely. but i gotta you. ask you know first question man are you a wine drinker like do you do you fuck with the wine at all um i do drink wine i'm not like a connoisseur by any means but um i drink it occasionally um i like a nice red wine uh, more often than not but i'll drink a white wine every now and then dope. i'll drink some champagne well, we got we got some champagne. Yeah. We we popped some champagne, uh-huh. and we got some red wine here now. You know, we brought some loyalty in the building with yeah. this man. Shout yeah. out to Jay Prince. I yeah. love that this is happening. This is wine and hip hop happening right before your motherfucking right. eyes. That's you know right. what I'm saying? Like, so um, Jay Prince, man, we 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 got some Merlot up in the building. So so yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. You know, we gonna pour up. We got shout a toast. Jay, what's up, Jay? Official. You know. Hold up. Loyalty wines, right. yes. And we got a toast, man. So, thank you once again for joining the show. Yeah. Greatly you. appreciate you, man. Definitely. Yeah. All right, cheers to that. So, question, man. So, like, so the source, right? So, you founded the source in the late 80s. That's right. Um, Like, can you tell me a little bit about the landscape and hip-hop and what exactly inspired you to start the source? Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, I'm I'm born and raised in, in D.C., Washington, D.C., um, and, you know, I got exposed to music and culture and things like that, you know, growing up in, 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 in the city in D.C. Um, I heard the first, you know, rap music there, Rapper's Delight. I was, I think, in sixth grade when it came out, you know, knew every word. Uh, I heard it on the radio. Um, the message was a really big song for me when that came out. Um, I was much more into go-go. Go-go was really the dominant music in D.C. throughout the 80s. Um, and then when I went away to college, it was 86. I started at Harvard um, in the fall of 86. Mm-hmm. So when I get there, um, I mean, nobody's messing with the go-go, period. Um, <laughs> Harvard itself Go-Go is, is an acquired taste. <laughs> to, to be I mean, fair, <laughs> I mean, for those people that that aren't from DC, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're from DC, it's 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 in your blood, yep. man, and you know, there's nothing like it. But um, um, you know, I get to Harvard, and it's kind of a culture shock for me in a lot of ways. I mean, just the the people at Harvard were very very different. 
from the type of people I was used to being around um, in D.C. Um, you know, I did meet this, this one guy in my dorm room who was into rap, and we ended up going down and joining the Harvard radio station and convincing them to give us uh, a show late night on the weekend playing rap and go-go at first. That got, that got shut down. But, you know, I got really much more immersed in hip-hop starting in 86, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, that was an incredible time, if you think about it. This is really the uh, inception of the golden era of hip-hop. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm hearing that, you know, Eric B is president, my melody. I'm hearing, you know, the Boogie Down Productions. Um, I'm hearing, you know, of course, then you get Public Enemy, you get N.W.A. You know, this is an incredible period of hip hop when I'm getting just fully immersed. I'm, I'm doing this radio show that's growing in popularity throughout, you know, Boston and, uh, you know, building up relationships with the different hip hop labels to get them to send me their new music and, and things like that. So, I mean, it was a really exciting time to get kind of involved in, in hip-hop in the way that I did, um, at the, you know, in the late, mid to late 80s. Mm. So what, like, when did it transition into going from radio to, uh, to, like, print magazines? Like, what was it that said, like, yo, this shit is not being represented? Because starting a magazine ain't no bullshit. Like, it takes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely takes some work. You know, so what was it that motivated you to say, like, yo, this, this story needs to be told and I know how to tell it? Yeah, well, the way it, the way it kind of happened was, you know, I was always an entrepreneur from a young age. So in D.C., I had, you know, big lawn mowing company and I had lemonade stands when I was younger and I was always, you know, finding little hustles to make money. Um, when I got to Harvard, the other reason I was attracted to the radio station was they had uh, a department to sell advertising and sponsorships even though it was a college station they had that and you could earn commission from that mm. and I had done some sales that was like my most recent job before I came to college was doing sales so I was like okay I'm gonna go and try to make some money selling ads for the radio station so I would go around Boston to these local businesses and a lot of them would just laugh at me and you know who's listening to a hip-hop show on Harvard station and back then I mean, the show, the listeners were from all around the Boston area and the suburbs. The signal was big. It wasn't Harvard students um, listening. And people were calling in like crazy every week. The audience was growing. So I knew I had something, but um, I had to find a way to kind of prove my audience. So I started building a mailing list of my listeners and had people call in, write down their name and address every week. Uh, set up little sign-up boxes in the local mom-and-pop stores, you know, join the Street Beat, that was the name of the radio, so join the Street Beat mailing list, and, you know, you can, uh, you know, fill it out here. And uh, as I built up this list of maybe a thousand uh, listeners throughout the Boston area, um, talking to all these people, answering the phones, everybody is asking questions. You know, when is the new, you know, De La Soul single coming out and who produced this and mm -hmm. you know people wanted to know everything and you know at this time there's no information out there there's no you know this is way obviously before internet and social media but there's no magazines newspapers radio stations you know um, tv covering hip-hop so there's nowhere to get information so 
that was really the impetus was, <clears throat> you know, hey, I can take this mailing list and create a newsletter mm. and I'll sell the ads on the newsletter. I can provide news and information because of the labels I had started to build relationships with. So now I was getting a little bit of information about what was going on and I could share that with people. And after getting started, you know, I just like dove right in. The first one was just one yellow sheet of paper front and back. Um, you know, took $200 to get it printed up and mailed out and that type of stuff. Sold uh, like three or four ads on the back to local record stores and actually Jive Records was an advertiser on the first uh, <laughs> issue of The Source. Next one was six pages, next one was 16 pages. Then I started to sell it uh, in record stores instead of just giving it away. It was free the first couple of issues. Um, you know, then I started selling it and building distribution in record stores. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just took off, you know, just took off from there. I just, That's wild, you know. Man. Yo, it's crazy, man, because to, to see what it grew into, that got to feel wild, like, to really sit back and say, like, shit, I really did something. You know, that, that, that's insane. I want to um, get into this wine pairing because we are on wine and hip hop. Sure. I have to say, though, this loyalty is hitting, you know, um, for all my people that are not familiar. Like, you know, wine opens up at the time. We just pop this bottle. It's going to continue to evolve and change. And, you know, it'll soften and really develop the flavors that, um, that you want to be experiencing here. Okay. Um, but today I chose the wine. And you chose the rhymes, you know. So you actually went with um, nothing but a G thing. Yeah. Now, um, what what was so important about nothing but a G thing for you? Um, I mean, I just feel like, you know, I felt like the chronic is the most important and like influential album in hip hop history. It really, you know, changed the whole direction of hip hop. One, two, bring it to the folks. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we're about to rip shit up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Lone Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G-Bang, baby. Too low death, make us so we're crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Unfatable, so please don't try to fake it. But uh, back to the lecture at um. hand you know, that we still kind of feel the impact from today. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember, I, I hadn't gotten an advanced copy of it um, before it came out, and I was like going crazy over it. But, you know, when, when I first heard Nothing But A G Thing, I mean, it was just such a, you know, you, you, Snoop had come out with Deep Cover, you know, that was the song that had kind of yeah. opened doors for everything. But then all of a sudden, you know, everybody heard Dr. Dre was working on his new album and, um, you know, he's starting a new label and all these, you know, rumors are going. And um, I pursued, you know, getting the exclusive interview with him. With him. And right, I had that a, was the, um, he had like the gun. Dre had to, on the that's cover. That's probably yeah. my favorite cover yeah, of, of yeah. the source of all time. You know, Dr. Dre with the gun to his head. We shot that out in, in L.A. People still biting that pose. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a classic right there. So I just remember, you know, pursuing that. I was trying to track Dre down because nobody knew how to reach him. I ended up, you know, getting in touch with Suge and, you know, convinced him that, um, 
you know, they should give us access and give us the cover before the album dropped. And, um, you know, so that cover came out like a month or two before The Chronic came out. Wow. Um, and really was, you know, we really put that stamp on it, yeah. uh, when, it when it dropped. So, you know, very, very important time in, in my life and in the source, you know, evolution of the source. I think that was a real, you know, breakthrough moment for, yeah. for the source. It's dope because, like, and I feel like this is another connection between wine and music, how it can kind of take you back to a moment. You know what I'm saying? Like when you hear that song, it just connects immediately to those memories, you know? And the right. same thing with wine. That's ill, man. I remember like that time we, I was in elementary school, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And um, it, like as a young kid listening to this shit, it was just, it was like um, life changing, man. Like seeing, hearing, hearing about the West Coast, hearing about shit that you ain't even know existed. It was dope. Um, but also seeing the way that people lived over there, it just didn't exist before right. hip-hop. Yeah, that video for Nothing But A G Thing was a big, huge video. I wanted to go to that video. party so yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, they really, they really turned up with that. Mm. That was big. Um, but I, I paired this with um, the 2019 Mika. This is a, a Cabernet Sauvignon okay. from Napa Valley. Um, you know, Napa being in Cali, big Cali. But, um, you know, I, I always think about, like, the guests that I'm sitting with and, and um, everything when I'm actually pairing the, the song choice with the wine. And, you know, obviously Snoop and Dre, Big Cali, they're definitive. So we wanted to get something that was definitive to Cali. So we're going to go with the, um, a Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa. Okay. But not just that, um, you know, thinking about you, you guys uh, at the source, you came up with the five mics rating system, you know, which was com very, very influential in the 90s. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But, um, you know, I also think about this, um, this wine critic, this guy, Robert Parker, who um, he came up with the 100 point scoring system, which was very influential in wine also. <laughs> and um, similar, and this is, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this. But like Robert Parker's scores really started to shape the way that winemakers started to make their wines in the 90s. Cause they was, it was like, you get a hundred point score, immediately your shit's, you know, that, that can mean your entire vintage. It can make your, right. your winery, you know, or right. it could break your winery, a bad score. Right. <laughs> I'm right. sure you right. can kind of relate right. to, right. to some of this, you know right. what I'm saying? What's his name, Robert? Robert Parker. Parker, okay. Yeah, so he, he, he wrote for um, this thing called the, the Wine Advocate. Okay. It was a newsletter like twice a month that he started. Uh -huh. But um, Robert, he was very, his palate was, uh, he tasted around like Bordeaux wines. They, um, uh, he also influenced the way that wine was being made in California, you know, because people started to kind of make wine around what his palate liked. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it was the first thing that I thought of, especially Nothing but a G thing is like, yo, it just made sense to mm. go to California for this one. Yeah. And it gave us a chance to talk about one of my favorite things in life, the five mic rating system. <laughs> like that, that, I mean, it, that's deep. Like we could talk about how influential it was. Like, I mean, even, I feel like LL's mic tattoo was based around the, the source five mic. Yeah, rating. definitely. You know what I'm saying? Even like Cannabis's tattoo was like, the exact artwork, if right. I can remember correctly. Right. Remember, um, there was a cover with LL, our 100th issue, with 
five mics. Right. You know, yeah, I think yeah, you know yeah. his was kind of like one of those mics almost. And that was after he got the tattoo, right? I I, I don't know. I think that might have been before. That was in like '98. I don't know yeah. when he got that tattoo, but um, I, that was like yeah, it was it was totally. I mean, it was like it was the. Um, that was the standard, bro. Like if you I ain't think getting, he had the tattoo. I think he's I showing it off. I remember maybe on, seeing on it on the cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was ill, man. Like so, what? Uh, so for those that don't know, you know, all my wine people, man, we got two different audiences here. Uh-huh. So for the wine people, can you break down the five mic rating system, and and what that was? Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, this started early on as the magazine was uh, growing. Uh, we started to write record reviews and we decided to create a, a rating system for the albums, uh, one to five rating. Is and, there a reason you went with five? Um, I think that was just what the standard was. If you looked at other magazines, like, you know, they had one to five stars or whatever the case, right. case may be. So I think it just kind of came from that. Um, and... Uh, at first, it wasn't mics. We started the ratings, and we had a different kind of graphic, like exploding kind of record image. Um, but you know, after a year or so, we came up with the mic concept and started changing the ratings to one to five mics. Mm. So the one was like totally whack, and the five <laughs> was a hip hop classic. Yeah. So there was a range, of course, in between, um, but. You know, the source was really defined by, you know, its editorial quality and the, and, and, and the authenticity and the passion that we had for what we were doing, kind of like what you were referring to earlier. And, and, you know, that's who made up the magazine. Everybody was people that loved and lived yeah. hip hop. Um, so, you know, we just... We took our jobs really seriously because at this time, again, you know, there, there isn't much out there promoting hip hop in a positive way and building it up. So, you know, you're, you're kind of like going up against the mainstream that's always taking shots at rap music and yeah. trying to make it seem like, you know, it doesn't, there's no talent involved in it and no creativity and all these type of things. So, you know, we were just, we just loved what we did and, um, so we took it really seriously, and, and I think people respected that and respected our judgment and our taste to the point where, it, like you said, it became incredibly influential. I mean, the amount of mics you would get would determine if somebody was going to buy the album. I mean, there was you know, thousands and thousands of fans that would go pick up that new issue of The Source, yeah. and if it wasn't you know, maybe three and a half, you would buy but <laughs> four and up. You would buy I me mean, five. It was absolutely, but yeah, four and up. Um, so it was really, really influential in, in a lot of album sales, a lot of artists' careers, um, and um, yeah, that's that's kind of what it, what it is. I gotta say, y'all were pretty spot on with the hip hop classics that were picked, like things that got five mics. When you think about a classic, it's like. You know, where is it going to be 10 years from now? Where is it going to be 15 years from now? And right. all of those albums that we're getting, those five mics, are really still being discussed and enjoyed right now. So yeah. hats off, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Y'all Thank got you. it right. Um, now, do you feel that there are any albums that the uh, mic rating system kind of like changed the trajectory for? Like, you know, for example, let's say 
this artist didn't have much backing or no one really believed in him, but you know, you guys heard the album and shit, you know, four and a half or five or four, or whatever. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's any albums that you kind of changed the path for? A, a lot, a lot. I mean, Nas immediately comes to mind, you know, with Illmatic. Before blunt, I take out my fronts, then I start the front. Matter of fact, I'll be on a manhunt. You couldn't catch me in the streets without a ton of reefer. That's like Malcolm X catching a jungle fever. King poetic, too much flavor. I'm major. Atlanta ain't braver. I pull a number like a pager. Cause I'm an ace when I face the base. 40 side is the place that is giving me grace. Now wait, another dose say you might be dead. And I'm a Nike head. I wear chains that excite the feds. Ain't ain't a damn thing gonna change. Because, you know, at the time when Illmatic comes out, you know, Nas had a, had a fan base. He was, you know, had a nice situation going. But when we came out with that five mics for Illmatic, right, when it dropped, like, you know, that just kind of lit, lit the spark. Right. And, it, you know, he just blew from there. And we had been already featuring him and supporting him, you know, hip-hop quotables and reviews of the first single and things like that. But that five mic review was huge in, in helping Nas really catapult his, his career at that stage. Um, and, of course, you know, it's, it's proven to be a classic album yeah. um so you know what the source put me on to um Aquemini. that's right like because i wasn't listening i mean i'm from the bronx you know what i'm saying right. i wasn't really listening to down south music like that right and um you know even after the andre 3000 moment at the source awards i didn't it still didn't i was just like yeah whatever right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's right but um like this though i'm tired of folks you know what i'm saying them closed-minded folks, you know what I'm saying? It's like we got a demo tape and don't nobody want to hear it, but it's like, this the South got something to say. That's all I got to say. But when I saw that five mics, I'm like, yo, let me check this shit out. And then I heard Sporty Yodi, Dopalicious Angel, and life was different. You know uh, what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I understood, like, that's a different level of talent to be able to take that lyricism to poetry and still be dope. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, they got four and a half on Southern Playlistic. And I know those guys like, I mean, that's another thing about the mics, like artists took it incredibly seriously. I mean, they went to the studio and were determined to yeah. make a five mic album. Like <laughs> I gave it to a raw mixtape at the mixtape. Yeah. Had niggas waiting on the album. I should have got five mics in the source. Instead, I got five bricks in a Porsche. They say I ain't lyrical. That goes back to the early 90s and you know, artists, that was like their goal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, that, that, was a, that was a whole nother part of the five mic experience. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like in these days also, you know, like you mentioned, rappers take criticism so seriously. People are very sensitive, you know, and especially when they think this is something that's gonna change their career or whatever, like with all these top five, top MC lists and shit like right now, like, they those people get a lot of pressure like the 90s was way different you know the social media shit wasn't out there and you know a lot of stuff happened under the table you know mm -hmm. so like did you guys get any pressure ever for people to try to give like better ratings or was that something you guys had to deal with sure sure i mean i think you know early on one of the things i did was um you know the record companies were the ones that really helped 
build the source the first five years, the majority of advertising dollars came from record labels. Mm. And I was the one personally kind of handling and selling all of those ads. So I built relationships with a lot of the record label heads and their heads of marketing and stuff like that. And I really made it a point to, you know, explain to them that, you know, the trust of the readers is the most valuable thing for us and it's also the most valuable thing for you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're running an ad in a publication that people don't trust because they feel like they just print whatever somebody tells them or pays them the most money or what have you, they're not even going to pay attention to your ad. Right. And you know, the fact is that the ads in the source, people bought the magazine just as much to see the ads as they yeah, did yeah. the, the <laughs> articles. Like you were finding out things in the ads and the Master like, P ads definitely stood out. The no limit <laughs> the no yeah. limit ads stood out. Yeah. So I was really able to get these labels to understand like look, I know you're spending money with us. You're helping create a uh, a platform that's empowering these artists and this culture and will help your business grow, but we need to preserve the editorial integrity as everybody's best interest to do that. Right. So that, that was one way early on of dealing with it, you know, with the labels and, you know, and then as, as the 90s went on, you know, hip hop became a little more, you know, street and, you know, you just had to, I had, I had to, you know, just make sure that, you know, people didn't think they could just kind of run up on me or the source office and you know cause a ruckus because there there was incidences uh, incidents of that happening back then in 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 those days um but you know i think we were we handled all of that pretty pretty well yeah i feel like the source really um maintained a lot of integrity as far as like album ratings especially like yo me and my brother like literally i remember we would get so hyped beginning of the month when the Alright, so it's about to drop. <laughs> when he came home with that magazine, like so, I definitely think um, you know the journalistic integrity stayed there. Um, at least, at least that's something you never had to worry about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so now, do you feel like you guys ever got any wrong? Like any albums you were like, damn, I should have gave that a five. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, you know, we, you know, like the Chronic. I think I referenced before. Chronic got four and a half. I mean, no question, that's a five I mean, mic album. Pretty good. Yeah, no, it was good. It's not like we, we came out and said it was right. whack and yeah. then it became one of the best albums of all time. Like, yeah. we were close uh, if we didn't nail it, you know. But we did go back some years later, I think the late 90s, uh, we did like re rated a bunch of albums mm. that we had gotten wrong. Right, right. Um, right. And, uh, you know, obviously The Chronic was, was one of those. and. You know, I remember the diary, Scarface, and um, a few others that that got re-rated to five mics. Mm. So, like, let's say today, right? Albums recently dropped. Let's say within the last five, six years, what album would you give five mics? Um, for me, I would probably go with Victory Lap. You know, mm, okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a big yeah. Nipsey fan, and I think that was a you know was a an incredible album. album. Yeah. See, now yeah. this shit's taking me back, man, because I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's five. That's five, yeah. Mike. I'm trying to think, what album would I give five right now? Like, what what jumped out at me? D, what you think, man? What album would get five mics right now? 
Like D- he's another big music fan. Uh-huh. This is other wine and music years, guy right here. Last six years, Bob Mike album. I mean, the Kendrick was crazy. Was that six years? Damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, damn, damn oh, is yeah, Bob, I, damn I, is I, the Bob Mike album. That's that a fact. Yeah. Okay. That fucking that Duckworth track. That that's sick. like. One of the hardest stories ever told in hip hop. Crooked cops told Anthony he should kick it. He brushed him off and walked back to the Kentucky Fried Chicken. See at this chicken spot that was a light skinned nigga that talked a lot with a curly top and a gap in his teeth. He worked the window, his name was Ducky. He came from the streets to Robert Taylor Home, Southside Project, Chirac, the Terror Dome, drove to California with a woman on him and $500. They had a son hoping that he see college, hustling on the side with a nine to five to freak it. Cadillac Savilli riding sun around on weekends. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll give it to, like, Duckworth really stands out to me, and I'll, very close second is, um, coming to age two, Jay-Z. Jumped out like a star with the flavors, car, matching the gator shirt, softer than my next door neighbors. These young niggas think I fell out the loop, cause the last time they see me hopping out the coop, I hopped out in the soup. Look at this nigga Jay fronting, trying to take my shine. I didn't say this verbally, just had some shit on my mind. Plus I'm puffing like an ounce, more than I used to puff. Taking advice from these niggas, but they ain't used to stuff. They had me thinking shit, I'm the one that moved the stuff. Why you drive around town in brand new coops and stuff? Swear to God. Dude told a whole story, like he told a a story, a thirty second story over like four minutes. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? That was ill. But and and also like right now, hip hop media is really changing. Are we drinking the loyalty, or are we switching oh, up to the um, listen, we cabinet? Whatever you want. I want you to try the cab though. All right, I do want you get to a little of that. Sorry, get a little bit of um, nothing but a G thing in the glass right now. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Know? you. But like, media is huge right now. All in all, you know, like when I think about um, what you guys did, I'm really interested to hear your take on like the current state of hip hop media. You know, hip hop media is, I mean, you even look at like Baller Alert, you know, that's sure. media and hip hop. Sure. So there's so many different forms of it now audio, visual, print, online. Like, what's just your overall opinion on like hip hop media, right? Mm. I think there's a lot of, uh, like you say, a lot of different platforms, um, some, you know, social media, some digital web based, um, you know, you can find hip hop in a lot of different places. Um, but, um, you know, we're here because I just launched Breakbeat, you know, Breakbeat is, um, the new, uh, hip hop podcast network. Um, and a big reason, you know, that I'm launching Breakbeat is because I feel like as big as hip hop is, as bigger than it's ever, ever been before, um, and as prevalent as it is throughout the media, it's still very spread out. There's not one platform or brand that kind of comprehensively uh, covers the entire, you know, kind of world. Mm-hmm in a hip hop fashion or, or from, a, from the point of view of the hip hop community. You know, those of us that have grown up on hip hop, you know, from an early age, whether we're, you know, 50 years old or 21 years old today, we may not like the same music anymore, but beneath the surface of the music, you know, I think we have so much more in common that people aren't really thinking about just, again, our, our way of thinking, a way of looking at the world. Hip-hop shapes that in a way, 
you can, you know, tell somebody who's part of the hip-hop community and somebody who, who isn't. Right. You know, we usually have different points of view on a lot of things, whether it's politics or the news or health or, you know, we have a unique way of thinking about things um, that comes from, you know, just being a part of hip-hop. And I feel like there's nobody that's really doing that in a comprehensive way across a wide range of subjects. And, and that's what Breakbeat, and that's, that's kind of like the podcast network is, is kind of like the, the magazine of the digital magazine of 2021, mm -hmm. um, you know, because you can cover all these different subject matters and topics, um, you know, through different types of podcasts, different hosts, different formats, and mm -hmm. kind of bring them all together on one network. And I think we're missing that. And um, I'm really excited about um, the content that we've got coming out, and I think, you know, and hope that the hip hop community agrees and, and, and responds. Dope, dope. So, like, how, and like the source being so influential, right? Like, how does, how do you make Breakbeat Media the next source? Well, I mean, the, the beautiful thing from my perspective is, you know, I, I kind of left the source somewhat abruptly. I didn't really get to finish what I had started for 18 years and what I had built for 18 years. Where I was going with it, um, you know, I already knew where I was gonna go with it. Um, but it's been 15 years since I left the source and hip hop, like I said, has gotten bigger and bigger, more global, just larger as a whole. Um, and, um, you know, it's just like um, nobody has sort of picked up the mantle from where I left off 15 years ago. So it's kind of like this big, big void. There's just been a lot of different things that have gone on in, in media as a whole. You know, the industry has been very tumultuous with, mm -hmm. you know, starting with newspapers, magazines, you know, now you got cable television, all forms of traditional media going kind of down the tubes. Um, so it's just, a, it's just an interesting time, but really, you know, an opportunity uh, that I feel just is left out here and now you know now with the digital age it was about figuring out the right entry point you know I knew that there was a space for this but you know it's hard to figure out the right way in and that's when you know we landed uh, on the podcast network because podcasting is such a you know it's just such a dynamic space right now it's uh, you know it's a plat it's, it's a place for new voices new perspectives new subject matters things that aren't you know getting covered in, the, in, in all the you know, more mainstream or traditional media platforms. It's a very influential uh, uh, business right now. It's growing fast. It still has a huge upside. There's a lot of people that don't even know they have a podcast app on their phone that has you know, thousands and thousands of podcasts they could be you know, checking out, um, things like that. So um, you know, I think it's just the right time uh, the right convergence of things, um, and um, yeah, I'm excited about it. Mm. Now, how do you, what's your vision for telling these different, uh, talking about these different pockets of hip-hop um, through podcasts? Like, what's your, what do you see, like, how do you see this progressing? Well, um, I mean, I can kind of just run down some of the shows that we've got, yeah. which will give, you know, you and, and the listeners, viewers, you know, more of a sense of the diversity of, of programming. So um, we're doing a number of shows that are 
kind of host-driven uh, discussion formats, you know, that may be audio and visual similar to what, what you're doing. Um, I have some incredible talent. I have two emerging stars that I call like my unsigned hypes of breakbeat. So one is Don't Call Me White Girl. Mm. Um, she's a comedian, influencer from Philly. Uh, she was on a million dollars worth of game podcast last year as a co-host for a couple of oh, months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Light skinned black woman from Philly. She's she's just so so funny but smart, but you know, she just has a real she's just people love her and I think she's gonna be a star. So I was really excited when I got the opportunity to, to bring her in. And then uh, similarly, there's a guy you probably know out of, uh, well, he's based in Atlanta, Funny Marco, uh, yeah, who's yeah. big on Instagram. And a lot of us have been following him for the last few years and, you know, watching all these hilarious, you know, pranks and skits and things that he's been doing on there. Um, but, you know, I just saw like a special talent in him. I mean, he's got a certain comedic brilliance and style that I think we can, you know, take into the podcasting world and, and take him to uh, another level. So those are two examples. Um, then um, I have, you know, more, let's say, more veteran type, you know, voices. Um, I have a show called Culturati that's uh, hosted by Karen Mayo. Karen is one of the most uh, respected black female hip-hop media, uh, you know, executives and journalists over the past 20 plus years. She uh, uh, started Honey Magazine and has done a lot of things. People really, really love her and I've had the opportunity to work with her in the past and um, she's bringing, you know, just a whole, whole nother perspective, black feminist hip-hop perspective on the world and interesting conversations. She's done, you know, a conversation with W. Kamau Bell, um, you know, the guy who, you know, he has a show on CNN mm -hmm. and uh, really interesting, interesting guy. Um, Q-Tip and um, Story of Honey Magazine, a bunch of things there. And then my show, the Dave May show is coming uh, about a month, yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> you know, getting you know. in there. Yeah, getting there. I got to do that. I got <laughs> to do that. Cheers to that. Yes, yes. Um, so what's that well, like for you though? Like, because you a behind the scenes dude. Yeah. So you about to be outside with yeah. it, like front stage. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like your prep going into that. Yeah. Well, I'm still prepping. You know, <laughs> this this is good prep here tonight, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a new thing for me, and it's kind of a long time coming. Like you said, I always was a behind-the-scenes person, you know, and that's how I wanted to be. I was just focused on building this, you know, this empire, and uh, I didn't care about, you know, getting the credit and being out on the front and having my picture, my face, whatever out there. Mm. Um, you know, and then this so was ringing bells, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I take that. Appreciate that. Um, you know, but today... You know, there's a lot of people that have no idea who Dave Mays is, um, and partly because I was never one to promote myself. Right. So there's a lot of people that were my contemporaries, you know, in the 80s or the 90s that are obviously, you know, way more known today than I am. Uh, so part of me coming back with this breakbeat, um, you know, I formed Dave Mays Media about four or five years ago, and that's sort of like the parent to uh, breakbeat for me. Um, you know, it was about two things. One, um, 
having my voice be heard, uh, not just my work and the things, you know, behind the scenes, putting things together, but I think, uh, you know, people will be interested in my perspective on a lot of things, just given, you know, the kind of unique pathway I've had with hip hop and the world in so many ways over the past, you know, 30 years and the relationships, mm -hmm. you know, that I have. Um, and then also just getting my story out there, you know, right. uh, people don't know, you know, my background and the story and what really was involved with creating the source and how all these things happen. So I'm working on different ways of, uh, of getting that out there so that the story and the legacy and the history is, you know, accurately told. Um, so, you know, I'm doing these kind of like documentary style podcasts as well, you know, going back to the different, you know, variety of podcasts and formats. So um, I have two big ones that uh, we're in production on uh, that are coming out incredible. Uh, one is um, the story of the unsigned hype column in the source, uh, eight part yeah, documentary series, um, you know, got all the old, people from the source, my original partner John Schechter and Maddie C and Riggs Morales and all the people that helped, you know, discover Biggie and DMX and Mob Deep and Eminem and, you know, CNN and, I mean, the list goes on, J Electronica, many, many others that got their starts, you know, through, through the unsigned hype column. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we got a lot of those artists, their first record deals from, from being in there. I mean, um, that's story. So, like, for everybody that is not aware, the unsigned hype column, like, you would, what, send your tape in <laughs> to the source and hope to end up as one of the um, people that this, that was selected for uh, to be an unsigned hype. Yeah. And you guys picked, like, Biggie Smalls, yeah. uh, DMX. Yeah. Um, who was some other, like... Common. Common, Mob Deep. Yeah. Pony Nori. I actually had the DMX issue when he was in Unsigned uh, Hype. Okay. Yeah, we, we were way early on, on X. He didn't even blow up for years afterwards. But, um, I mean, we personally, you know, got Biggie his deal. Puff called right. me when he was given his bad boy imprint deal. He That's been a documented at, story. Uh, like, yeah. Maddie C was the one that was behind that, right? Like, yeah, well, Matt, Maddie was the one who heard the demo, you know, Mr. C and... Uh, DJ uh, 50 Grand, I believe, brought the demo up to Matt at the source and, um, you know, Matt loved it and, you know, he lobbied for it and got it in. And then when Puff starts Bad Boy, he calls me because I had a good relationship with him for several years already and he's telling me he's looking for artists, you know, do I have any ones that, that you know, he should check out and I immediately I call Maddie or walk down the hall to Maddie's house like oh you know what's going on he's like oh we got a biggie you know no, you know notorious B.I.G. and and boom uh he we send the tape up to Puff and within a month he gets signed you know yeah. so yeah I um, must have been getting some crazy ass tapes did you um were there any artists that like came through the unsigned hype filter but didn't make it into the magazine that you saw like doing that thing later on? Um, I, I think some of those stories are going to come out okay. in the podcast. Me personally, I wasn't that involved in it. I mean, of course, there's the alleged uh, game, uh, you know, that his unsigned hype got rejected by Dave Mays, <laughs> which is false. I, you know, I have nothing, nothing to do with unsigned hype. I don't know if 
he even said anything to Unsigned Hype. We're going to try to uncover the answers <laughs> answer to that in this new podcast. Check it out. Yeah. Break Beef Media podcast yeah. coming soon. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. That's crazy. And then, um, so I'm sorry, I cut you off. So one of the documentary uh, pieces that you're working on is about Unsigned Hype. Yeah, yeah. And the other one uh, that I'm really excited about and one of the reasons I'm here in Chicago is uh, we're telling the Larry Hoover story as a 10-part series. Um, and it's the first authorized telling of his story. You know, him and his family have never participated in telling the story. So um, this is the first time that they are. So I've been working closely with his wife and his son. And, um, you know, we're just getting incredible information and uh, stories and talking to a lot, of, a lot of people that, you know, have never spoken before. Um, and people, you know, his story is very relevant, you know, even to today. I mean, of course, it starts really in the 60s, but it, it's relevant all the, all the way up today with, you know, what's going on with the gun violence uh, in Chicago today and understanding that and what the history of what's going on here in the mm -hmm. city, you know, how, how those conditions have been created and, you know, uh, what was done to him. Um, and, you know, and then the criminal justice system is, you know, is obviously something people are talking about. And, and he's a, uh, an example of that where they've been keeping him in the uh, ADX Supermax, you know, where they've got El Chapo and, um, you know, the Unabomber and all these people. Mm -hmm. He's been he there. like lockdown like most of the day. 23 and 1 yeah. for 25 years. Um, and he's, a, he's, in my opinion, he's a political prisoner. You know, the biggest thing with Larry Hoover was his move into politics, you know, as he redefined Gangster Disciples to growth and development. Um, I mean, not, not to mention, not talked, about. not talked about at all, and not talked about the thousands of lives that he's changed. Right. I mean, you know, my man who's sitting over here, easy right now is an example of someone who turned their life around, you know, because of the teachings of Larry Hoover and, and the influence that had, but there's thousands more like him, right. um, you know, that really followed the growth and development. And then when he got into politics and started running, you know, bringing rallies with 10,000 people coming down in City Hall <laughs> and, you know, running candidates that had a political organization. I mean, there's no black gangster in our history that, that was advocating for voting and getting involved in the right. political process. And I just think that's so powerful. And I think, you know, he was, you know, he was railroaded, of course, and, and set up, and um, I believe he deserves to be free. I believe he could have a positive impact on changing things, and, you know, I believe his story deserves to be told fairly and accurately, you know, for once and for all, so. Yeah, there's a lot of movement <clears throat> behind, like, freeing Larry Hoover. Like, like I like I like to see the energy happening. I know, like, Kanye yeah. is is really trying to help. Um, who else is? There's, a, there's another, um, there's a, I mean, obviously, Jay Prince is, like, very, he's yeah. someone that's always advocating. Like, and he's he's yeah. always been on it. Like, yo, free yeah. Larry Hoover, you know? So. Yeah. Well, the, well, the inside is that, you know, Drake wants to get involved in helping. Yes. And, yes. you know, yeah. they just kind of, brokered that there was, uh, you know, Jay and, you know, Larry Jr., um, Miss Wendy, that's Larry Hoover's wife, mm. has been with him for, you know, since the beginning, 1970, 50 years. Um, and Kanye all got together recently mm -hmm. in L.A. and I think bridged that gap to bring 
Ye and Drake together amidst this you <laughs> Yo, know, which stuff is that's crazy been going in on. itself. Yeah. How uh, Drake and Kanye working together to get Larry Hoover out of jail. Crazy, crazy in itself, yeah. man. You gotta love it, man. Hip hop, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Powerful. Wow, Powerful. Like, I'm interested to like how do you think Drake would be covered like today in the source? Like because he's someone he kinda like shies away from media, it seems like, and trying right. to tries to kind of create his own narrative. Right. Like what would how do you handle like an artist like that? Because I feel like that's very different yeah. from artists in the nineties versus the artist like now it's right. cool to not know what you look like talking or something. I don't right. know. Right. But um like how would you handle that in like today's um landscape? Well, it was different. I mean, uh, the first thing that came to mind is Jay-Z was really the one artist in the <laughs> 90s that was kind of like that. And like he wasn't like just he really felt like he was the shit and he wasn't like really as he was. It was a little more difficult to work with him in the source. And, and we had some some differences early on. But, you know, we always supported him and eventually, you know, things came together and they came and did the Source Awards, one of the most incredible performances ever, ever, the Rockefeller um, camp that performed at the Source Awards in, in Pasadena. Um, but um, I think, you know, I think Drake would love the Source if it was, you know, around in, in that sense. And I think Drake will love Breakbeat going forward. And I think, um, you know, I think artists want to have a uh, a media outlet that they feel they can really trust and I don't think that it's really there because everybody's so much about you know just the latest breaking news and rumors and you know having kind of strong opinions about things that's part of the nature of, of, of media today with social media is everybody wants to you know pick sides and take sides yeah. on these issues and stuff like that but um, you know I think that uh, you know I think there's room for a platform that the hip hop artists as well as the community can trust and feels like, man, they really represent us right, and you right. know, we fuck with them. And I don't think there's anything like that. And I believe Breakbeat, you know, will become that um, you know, over the next few years. Dope, man. That's fire. Like, and you guys constantly found a way to continue to elevate things, you know, which is um really dope. Like I remember, so was that, 94 was uh, was the first Source Awards, right? The first Source Awards as a big show in a theater. I, I had started the Source Awards in like 91, 92 as a, basically a day on Yo! MTV Raps where we gave out Source Awards on Yo! MTV Raps. So we did that a couple of years before 94, which was the first one, you know, at the theater at Madison Square Garden, 5,000 people there. It wasn't mm -hmm. televised that year. 95 was the first televised awards. Dope. So can you tell me, a, to well, tell our audience a little bit about like the, like you envisioning the Source Awards and saying like, all right, this, ha this hasn't happened before. I need to do this. This is what it's going to look like. This is the categories. Like what was your mindset building out the, the Source Awards? Well, you know, a few things. I mean, in the early 90s, you know, I was talking earlier about how Rolling Stone was sort of my, my vision. I'm going to build a Rolling Stone of hip hop. By early 90s, I'm in New York and we're growing. And, you know, 
I was more talking about the source becoming the Time Warner of hip hop. I would say that a lot. And back then, Time Warner was, you know, a company that did magazines, but they also did movies and television and uh, all different forms of, of media. And um, so I was moving in that direction, looking to expand the brand and understanding that the brand, you know, really had a connection with its audience and that we could bring the brand into other areas. So that was one, one part of it. Um, I guess, you know, the other part really is just, again, the kind of ongoing disrespect that was out there, you know, uh, with other award shows. I mean, you know, the Grammys create a rap category in maybe 88, but, you know, the nominees were awful. I mean, the most commercial stuff of all, none of the really, really, you know, dope artists that deserved it. So there was just this ongoing, again, feeling or, or you know, the mainstream media, you, you, know, you, you could just tell in the mainstream television award shows, you know, they just didn't take hip hop seriously. They didn't believe it involved creativity and talent. And, you know, we would, you know, we just, I, I just envisioned bringing the whole hip hop community together, you know, kind of unifying the industry from across the country, all the different labels and celebrating, you know, the incredible talent uh, within hip-hop mm -hmm. you know in the form of artists in the form of producers djs um you know all different you know we we had athletes involved with the source awards and we had uh actors yeah, and you know ron artest got Ron like, in trouble giving out an award at the source awards uh, when he was supposed to be practicing oh that's right that's right <laughs> no was it the vibe it was the vibe awards right I think that was, was the source. Yeah, Ronald was, was at the, the Source Awards. It yeah. was the Source I heard Awards. that story. I yeah. didn't know it at the time. But, you know, we had a lot. Chris Webber, shout out C. Webb, uh, Jaden Rose, uh, all came to the Source Awards. My man D. Scott, uh, Dennis Scott, you know, he had a label back then. He was up in there. We had a lot of NBA yeah, players. Dennis Scott was really moving. It out. That's yeah. crazy. He's yeah. just kind of like out of it now, right? Yeah. Like, I think he's still doing some, some, some hosting. He's on TV doing a few you know, doing some sports commentating. He's doing his thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we had Mike Tyson, Allen Iverson, a lot of, lot of different guys that came through, through the Source Awards. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, just a way for us to really honor and bring everybody together and celebrate. And that's what made it so special. It was like our own thing. And, you know, it was, you know, sometimes it was, it was a little raw. Uh, but it was real and it was authentic and generally people came together and bought into the vision that this is something that can help elevate our culture, our artists, our people. Right. And, you know, we need to come together and build something of our own. That was really the conversation I had with the Russell Simmonses, the Jay Princes, the mm -hmm. Suge Knights, the different people, the Puffs and people like that yeah. to like bring us all together. And, and they all like agreed and yeah they supported the all of them all that of them did dope. yeah that's dope like and you know hip-hop especially and again the time that you were operating in there was no rules like motherfuckers was doing their own thing and it was you know so like so many of those like first source awards like they were like like you mentioned they were real this was this was like rap rap <laughs> this was not no bullshit so like and yet, like, from your perspective, putting all this stuff together, like, a moment, like, for example, like, Suge, you know what I'm saying, on stage, like, yo. Like to tell Tupac, keep his guards up, we ride with him. 
And one other thing I'd like to say, any artist out there who want to be an artist and want to stay a star and don't want to, don't want to have to worry about the executive producer trying to be all in the videos, all on the record, dancing, come to Death Rock. No, talking his shit. Like, what was what was a control room looking like happening when 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 all that shit was happening? You know, like because it, it was the energy in the building. That night. <laughs> well, I wasn't in the control room. Right, I didn't right. spend much time in the control room. I was every source of words you would see me. I was moving around. I was backstage. I was in the crowd. I was here, there, just keeping track, trying to make sure everything was going right. I never had a chance to just sit in the seat and watch, or, and I definitely wasn't in the control room. Um, so when that when that happened, I, I, my memory is being in the back of the theater because I was in the back just trying to check out, you know, what was going on with the crowd and how everything was was looking from back there. And, um, you know, and he goes on stage and, you know, says what he says. And, you know, of course, there was a lot of, you know, this is 5000 people in New York City. The mm. majority of the fans that were there were people from the tri-state area. Um, so it was a very, you know. New York crowd. Um, but, you know, I remember just kind of rushing down to try to see what was going on. And I mean, Suge was in there deep. I mean, you know, he had about 60, 70 guys with him. Mm. I gave him a bunch of tickets. He flew a bunch of people out, all the artists, but a bunch of his guys, whatever. They came out. Um, you know, other camps had some people too, but he was the deepest in there yeah. so he was kind of you know i remember so you know Shug was deeper than new york dudes like i mean when it came to like the like industry the section up in, in in the front you know the, the the crowd of just fans was in the back sections but in the front area was where we had all the different people from the industry so you know i just remember going backstage and death row was just kind of rushing up and down the steps and just wilding out kind of get very exuberant about things <laughs> puff was over on the other side of the stage and he had a bunch of people with him and you know i went over there to talk to him and just try to you know hopefully keep the peace and and yeah. that's what puff decided to do you know and, and and shout out to puff for doing that taking the kind of high road and and just you know, going on stage and saying, yeah. hey, you know, I'm the producer that they was talking about and <laughs> blah, 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 and everything. You know, people seeing what, what, what happened. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a, you know, it was a little bit tense. But, you know, again, the thing about it, some of that stuff gets blown out of proportion over right. the years, the way people try to portray it, because there wasn't no fights. Nobody got punched in the face that night. Nobody got stabbed, shot, none of that. Yeah. You know, you would think that from some of the ways people have described it. Um, but no, nothing. I mean, you know, people were upset, but things calmed down and the show, you know, went on and it yeah. was, it was it's a like, historic you know, night. Sometimes you be in the spot and get some unfriendly looks and vice versa. Like that happens. And yeah, I could see how that could get blown out of proportion. I mean, I remember sitting back watching that shit like that. That show was just, I was for some reason in Florida. I don't know why I was, <laughs> I was at my uncle's crib in Florida watching that and uh. I was just remember seeing like Biggie so hype, and then I seen that. I didn't really understand what was happening until after. Right. But I, I mean, like even now, just um, you know, thinking about what the perspective was like now, knowing how shit actually goes. I mean, you know, I think about the things that we don't know. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. So it was just interesting getting your perspective as someone being in, you know, having so much on the line that night. You know right. what I'm saying? Because like. 
it's not just about thinking about calming it down. It's like, shit, like, what's this going to do for next year? Like, how right. am I? <laughs> you That's know what right. I'm saying? But I think you guys did a great job. I heard a story. Um, Jermaine Dupree was, like, trying to say that Suge was talking about him. And now, like, did you hear that? I've, I've heard that story. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't buy that. I mean, I know he was talking about Puff. Like, yeah, it seemed you know. pretty obvious. Like, yeah. I don't know. But, you know, yeah. I, I had to make sure I got it from the source, no pun intended. You yeah. know, yeah. Yeah, I, saw, I see the bars. <laughs> uh, uh, so another thing I think about with the source is like those iconic covers, you know, even something like today, you know, 9-11 um, was just the other day. How many times have you seen that damn Biggie cover floating around with him in the Twin Towers? Right. Like, right. Um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about the process of selecting the artists that are going to go on the cover and then thinking about like what the vibe for that shoot is going to be? Sure, sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, generally uh, uh, a lot of the staff, the editorial staff. In your glass yeah, right yeah, there. let me get a little more. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, myself and the editorial staff would, would, you know, get together and everybody would give ideas. A lot of times the cover was tied to the release of an album. So we knew so-and-so's album, different albums that were coming out that month, we, you know, and it was a, a, a good album. We would try to tie the cover to the album release because that helped kind of sell the most copies. Um, so, um, but of course, you know, there was a lot of competition uh, for who would be on the cover. Uh, so it was, a, it was something we took very seriously because the cover, you know, we were a magazine that was, our revenues came outside of ads from newsstand sales. Most right. magazines historically made their money from subscriptions. Um, we hardly had any subscriptions. Yeah, we were right. built off of, you know, this, this distribution network I was talking about that I created with the mom and pop stores. And then we got into the regular newsstands and that was our bread and butter. But that's all based on a cover, you know, a good or bad cover could up your circulation or right, drop your right. circulation <laughs> and your revenue every month. So you had to really be focused around, you know, who it was and then finding interesting things. I mean, I had some really great creative people around, you know, I didn't get, I can't, you know, take the credit for, for uh, this kind of stuff. I mean, Chimo Du, I want to talk about because, you know, rest in peace, he passed away earlier this year. Uh, Chi was our chief photographer from like 91 through maybe 97. I mean, Chi, you know, has some of the most iconic uh, images in the history of hip hop. And, you know, more important than that, he was just a great person, a great man, uh, just a real you know, a down-to-earth, incredible human being. So it was a big, big loss uh, for me and for the world earlier this year to lose him. Um, but, uh, you know, folks like Chi and some of the other, you know, creative team, art directors, the Chris Calloways and, you know, um, others that were part of it, Ola Kudu and people like that, you know, our editorial staff um, would just get together and come up with with concepts until we came up with something that was dope. And a lot of times we would talk to the artists and kind of get their input and the label's input as well. Yeah, I got Kim and Foxy on a couple. That of was huge. That was like, me, me that personally. Was, that was big, because they, 
They don't they, mix. Not then. They didn't, <laughs> still to this not, day. Especially but back then, then, it was a rivalry. That was a, that's one of my favorite covers because I took yeah. a lot of pride in, in, in making that happen, you know, getting uh, Un, uh, my man Big Un, to get Kim on board to do it. And then I think Foxy was on Def Jam, so I think Lior and some of the people at Def Jam really helped to make that happen. But that was, that's one of my favorite covers of all time. At that point, did, did they speak? I don't they weren't know. really cool like that and back they, then. And they were in the photo shoot yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, they did it together. Wow. They came together. But that's how, you know, that's how important the Source magazine was. Right. You know, the cover of the Source was huge. So uh, we were able to convince them, you know, it's a good look. Yeah. And uh, Is that like your favorite cover? It's one of them. I mean, that Dr. Dre one we talked about uh, yeah. earlier is one of them. I mean, the Dr. Dre, when he left Death Row, is one of my favorites, you know, with the electric chair and he's standing up in front of it. Uh, the Mary J. Blige cover uh, on the ice, uh, you know, throne of ice wearing all silver. Um, that was uh, one of my favorite. I mean, a few of the Tupac covers were, were great. I mean, we had a lot of, a lot of iconic covers. Um, yeah. Nah, I mean, you know, I would love to see. I, I hope that on break beat, you're bringing back that um, that verse of the month shit, man. Like <laughs> the the hip hop quotable. Like, let me tell you. So in my teenage years, I was a rapper, you know, and I mean that hip hop quotable was what. Like you look, who got the hip hop quotable this month? Right. Like that was a part of life. Right. <laughs> you know That's what I'm right. So I, w- I want to see the hip hop quotables come back. That's a good man. idea. We like, might we might do that. Do a whole <laughs> fucking show about hip hop quotables. Just debating the hip hop quotables. Uh-huh. Like that's your show right, right. there. Right. That's right. But um, like I right, so today, boom, we talked about um, you know, which album would get five mics? Mm-hmm. Who would you give a hip hop quotable to, and what verse? Oh man, I don't know. Sorry to put you like that. <laughs> I don't have a good answer off the top of my head. I mean, I think there are some, you know, I think there's some great lyricists out there um, today. I mean, the whole, you know, Griselda camp comes to mind. All, I feel like all Conway the Machine is a walking hip hop quotable. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah. he he reminds me of that that era, like. When I think about the Source magazine, I think about the bar spitters. You know, I come from the the cannabis era. Like I'm that, you know, I read the credits and shit. I'm mm-hmm. that dude. So um, nah, man, I, I could see Griselda get some yeah. some uh, hip hop quotables. Yeah, man. for sure. Um, but last question. Now I'm big on connecting wine and hip hop culture. So when I connect with people in hip hop, I always ask this, and I think. Honestly, your opinion on this might be, you know, more um, impactful than a lot of other people that I've spoken with. So, you know, I like to connect wine and hip hop culture a lot more. I think that they're already connected, but I want to create like deeper and more enriching connections between the two. Now, what are some steps that you think the wine industry could do to make more enriching connections with hip hop? Um. You know, I think they they gotta um, support things like so what we, you're doing. We got like loyalty here. You <laughs> feel me? Like uh-huh. this is wine and hip hop culture is happening. It's developing. Mm-hmm. You know, and and artists 
are only getting more and more into why like Drake, like the shit that Nas raps about, he's rapping about like ten thousand dollar bottles on a regular. Yeah. Hate start with H cause the H come after a G. They right. won't say it face to face, they say it after I leave. After the first night at my place, she asked for the keys. It's my season, garden of Eden, we Adam and Eve. Now we naked in savage hedonism from a lack of belief. I ain't a pastor, pastor Lafitte. Chateau Lafitte Rothschild is one of the most highly regarded wine producers in the world. Average price in the U.S. is around $1,000 a bottle, but they've been sold as expensive as $100,000, even over $200,000. We ain't in no relationship, but do relationship things. No ring, but she slides through when I ring. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, I'd be interested to hear yeah. your perspective on like what the wine industry should be doing. Yeah, I mean, I think they should be embracing um, the culture and getting involved, you know, whether it's, you know, with, uh, outlets like yourself and outlets like Breakbeat, um, I can see some some great marketing opportunities to introduce, you know, and market wine uh, to our audience. Um, you know, getting out and being part of different events and um, just understanding that you know hip hop is, you know, it's it's, it's a diverse crowd. It's, there's obviously a, a more uh, mature uh, side of the audience that. Uh, our wine drinkers, you know, I know a lot of wine drinkers um, that love hip hop, and uh, yeah, it's just such a, you know, you've you've you picked a really interesting void, you know, there hasn't been this, you know, connection before. So, you know, kudos to you for what you're doing. I think it's dope, and I think you, you know, you're helping to carve that 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 space out. Appreciate and uh, you know, I'm hoping we'll be able to collaborate on some things, um, you know, going forward. Um, but yeah, I think we just got to get out there and, you know, go talk to the people in the wine industry. That's what I did with the source. I mean, I was, I sold every ad, I was knocking on every, you know, sneaker company, clothing company, soft drink company, you know, and, and they didn't understand hip hop at the time and they didn't take it seriously, which may be the case with a lot of the wine industry, but, um, you know, with the right presentation the right bring you know some facts and some statistics to the mm -hmm. table uh, I think we can definitely push that and yeah and of course shout out to Jay Prince and the loyalty wines I mean this is this 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 wine is, is good man you know yeah I enjoy this. so enjoy this. I like we, the bottle a lot too I'm Bottles telling you we approaching Halloween yo like Merlot chocolate that's a classic pairing right there like mm -hmm. so you know compare this with your Halloween candy and and so fly thing like so we actually have a few pairings here now dave actually brought the pairing for this joint you know for the loyalty um we got um mom playing tricks on me man ghetto boys i sit alone in my four cornered room staring at candles oh, that shit is on <laughs> let me drop some shit like this here at night I can't sleep, I toss and turn Candlesticks in the dark, visions of bodies being burned Four walls just staring at a nigga I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger My mother's always dressing, I ain't living right But I ain't going out without a fight See, every time my eyes close, I start sweating and blood Classic. At, at the end of the day, this would go perfectly with that Because what, this year Halloween fell on the weekend Me and Ghetto uh -huh. Boys trick-or-treating, you know uh -huh. what I mean? You know how it go Rest so in peace, <laughs> rest in peace, Bushwick Word, word. Yo, that's, um, yo. And shout out to Scarface, man. I'm happy to see that he pulled through. He got his kidney. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad to see 
you know, shit happening. And yeah. They got the like, new podcast, Facing Will. It's doing really, really well. That's what's that's up. That's dope, man. Yeah. But um, now, nah, like, you know, to, to kind of bring it back to wine and hip-hop, like, I think that the connection between wine and hip-hop is deep. Like, because all of these winemakers and all the people that are into wine, they love hip-hop. You mm. know, you know how, how wide... Uh, like hip hop can connect people from like all different walks of life, like right. whatever you know. Like they all fuck with hip hop, yeah. And around the world, it's an easy way to um, to introduce hip hop to people that are familiar with wine. Like I go to places like I meet like older Italians, you know, in Italy, and they don't really understand how hip hop can connect. But I'm like, what does your kids listen to? As soon as I say hip hop. And I come with the wine shit. They're like, oh, wow, this is a great way for me to get my kids into wine. But, like, even more, like, we try to um, open up. Because, like, when I learn, I'm a hood dude. You feel me? Like, hood, hood. I came in rough around the edges into the wine industry. And then wine kind of opened my eyes up to the rest of the world, you know? So um, I think it's an important message to connect it to. Um, but, yeah, man, this this is fire, like, the wine is on point. Thank you for coming <laughs> through, man. This this is amazing. And shout out to my man Derek Westbrook and Juice. Make sure you come support his shop. Yeah, like we fun. we we got the wines here. You know, shit is fire. You know, he he might give us a little cameo on camera at some point, but nah, he too fly, so it's cool. <laughs> but but yeah, man. Yo, Dave, thank you for joining yeah, us. Man. It's another thank episode you, of Wine and Hip Hop. We out. One peace. This was a moment in wine and hip-hop, brought to you by Crew Love.